Praise God. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me this morning, first of all, to the book of Matthew, chapter 9, and then we're going to turn over to Mark, chapter 2, and then Luke 5, but I'll let you know when that happens. Matthew, chapter 9, and today I want to preach a message entitled, In with the Outcasts, In with the Outcasts. I love when you begin to read and you read in the Gospels how it is that Jesus dealt with those who were marginalized and put on the side and were in fact considered outcasts of society. It seems that what Jesus did is Jesus reached out to them as opposed to what the rest of society was doing, just kind of pushing them to the side, trying to figure out how to deal with them. Uh, and we read about a particular outcast in the Bible and in the Gospels. And I find it significant here today that we read it both in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to read all those passages in those three Gospels uh, in a moment. But it, it is the call of Matthew. Matthew, one of the disciples, and actually he penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the Gospel of Matthew... And Jesus had a specific, I believe, plan for calling this particular man. Peter and John and some of the others, they were fishermen by trade, not necessarily outcasts, not necessarily men who would have been marginalized, but they were workers, they were laborers, they were not necessarily known as, as scribes or Pharisees or part of the religious establishment of the day, but these men were hardworking men. But... Matthew was of a different sort. Matthew was one of those individuals who was looked down upon pretty much by everybody. And we're going to find out why in just a moment. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9, and reading down through to verse 13. The Bible says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Turn over to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 and verse 13. Mark 2 and verse 13, and we're going to read down through to verse 17. Mark 2, verse 13, it says, Once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach him, teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, 
And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now turn over to Luke chapter 5. You say, but wait a minute, we're reading the same thing and we're about to read it the third time. But there are differences, and this is a wonderful thing about having four Gospels. Because we have, in fact, three, three accounts of the same thing, and yet there are little details that the different writers pay attention to. It's as if you were to see an event, three people were to see an event take place from different perspectives. You will get different accounts of the same event, but nonetheless, they all compile the same account. Listen to what the Bible says. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Levi was known as Matthew. It's one and the same person. Sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up. Now this is something that Luke records that the other writers do not. Left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous... But sinners, and here Luke adds, to repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, we read all three of these, and we're going to hopefully get a pretty full picture of the calling and the call of Matthew. Now, why, why would we say that Matthew was an outcast? Why would I even suggest that he, as a, as a man of his stature, a tax collector... You know, we, we sort of look at IRS workers. If you're an IRS, any IRS workers here today? We might need your help down the road. I don't know. I, but no, we don't have any. So, no, you know, we kind of look at the IRS like we, don't, we hope we never have to deal with them. You know, we hope we just have to, you know, we can just get past April 15th, pay our taxes, be done with things, and, and, and not have to worry about the IRS. Well, he represents the IRS, except it was even worse in that day. You see, we live in a nation that taxes us, and we deal with that. We understand that. We understand that there are certain necessities and needs. And sure, we all complain about the high taxes. We all complain about how bad things might be and where our tax dollars go and what programs they're spent on. But in that day, in the day that Matthew lived in, in the day that Jesus lived in, Tax collectors were Jewish men who worked for the Romans. They collected on behalf of the Romans, who were the enemy, who were pagans. They were pantheistic. They worshipped other gods. Judaism was monotheistic. They worshipped one god. And here these men were working essentially for the enemies. In fact, they were known as traitors. Tax collectors 
were mean, they were nasty, and they were traitors to their nation. At least that's how they were perceived by pretty much everybody around in society. They were outcasts not because they were lepers or because they had some physical infirmity or some kind of thing. They were outcasts because of this particular kind. These were the worst kinds of outcasts. They were traitors to their nation. They worked for the enemy, and the people around them wanted nothing to do with them. And when they saw the tax collectors coming, they knew something was going to happen, and it was this. Because most tax collectors collected a certain amount for the Roman government, they would jump the price of the tax. They would just make it go up, and they'd say, you know what, Rome is now demanding instead of 15%, they're demanding 25%, and everybody would have to go along with it. They'd pay the 25, and these guys would pocket 10. And on top of getting paid to do what they were doing, they were robbing their own people. You can imagine and understand why these kinds of individuals were put out and outcasts of society. When the tax collectors came by, they knew, here come the con artists. Here come the rip-off guys. They're going to take me for everything that I got, and these guys are going to live high on the hog for it. They're just going to live it up. Well, Matthew was one of those guys. Matthew was one of those guys. In fact, the Bible says that he was at the tax collecting booth at the time Jesus called him. He was sitting there doing his job, and of course part of his job was to rip people off and to take from them. He was sitting there, but I want you to notice something here today in the call of Matthew, and it is this. The Bible says, going back to Matthew 9 and verse 9, and actually it says it in all three of these accounts, it says as Jesus went out from there, it says... He saw a man named Matthew. He saw a man named Levi. He saw a man named Levi. Brothers and sisters, you need to know this. That when it comes down to it, God has his eye on everybody at this moment. God has his eye not only on you today... But he has his eye on that individual that maybe you've been witnessing to or maybe you feel like is beyond all hope. He's got his eye on that individual. Now listen, this was not the kind of person that the Pharisees would have chosen. We're going to talk about the Pharisees in just a moment. He's not the kind of person that even Peter and John and some of the other disciples would have chosen. This was a tax collector. This was a guy... Who was, who was essentially a traitor to the nation. He didn't deserve to be, to be walking with Jesus. He didn't deserve to be around Jesus. And yet the Bible says that Jesus saw this man. Brothers and sisters, what we need to recognize is that individual that you might talk to and you might meet on a, on a, on a daily basis and one day somehow get up the courage to talk to about Christ and begin to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to know this. That God has his eye on that individual long before you ever showed up. God has his eye on you today. He has his eye on your co-worker today. He's got his eye on your son or daughter today. That is away from Jesus and doesn't know Christ. And they're out there in the world. They're doing their own thing. They're following their own path. 
His eye is on that individual. Listen, don't think that just because you haven't shared the gospel that they've escaped God's attention. They haven't. I love the fact that it was Jesus who sought out Matthew. So often we hear today about people, well, are they really seeking God or not? As I understand it in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied and said, there are none who are seeking the Lord. There aren't anybody who's seeking God. We hear a lot of today about seeker-sensitive services. And it's just, you know, it's a hook to try to get people in, to get on, whatever, whatever floats your boat, whatever will work for you. But in the end, i got to tell you that they're not seeking God. In the end, it is God who is seeking them. In the end, it is God who is looking for them. Brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't come and die on the cross because he wasn't seeking anybody. No, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He saw Matthew. Matthew didn't see him. The call of Matthew is a, is a great example of the mercy of God and how he sought you out. It was, it was through events, through circumstances that maybe certain things that occurred in your life that you recognized that you needed to come to Christ and you needed to, to, to know Jesus as your Savior and you came to him and you say, I, I sought the Lord. No, it was somehow through those events that you began to realize that he was seeking you all along. We, we often refer, and I, I never understood it as a kid, but you know I understand it a little bit more when, when I used to hear my father as he would be preaching and I'd hear somebody else say as they were preaching, you know, that referred to the Holy Spirit as the hound of heaven. I used to think of myself, hound? And literally they have in mind a hound dog because a hound goes after the scent of whatever it is that they're looking for and they don't quit. They don't quit. That dog will go for hours and hours and hours. The Holy Spirit is continually seeking after those who are lost and those who are hurting. And, you know, Julia mentioned in the announcement, yes, we want people to come into the, the, the house of God. We want them to be invited to church. We want them to come. And you know you need to know that when you hand out a tract, or you hand out a flyer, the Holy Spirit has already been there. The Holy Spirit's already been there. He's already working in the heart of that individual. You don't have to worry about it. You have to simply obey the Lord and let the Lord do the work. You be obedient to what it is that you need to know or what it is that you know that you need to do. The call of Matthew shows us the great mercy of God in that Jesus sought out Matthew. The Bible says he saw him. He saw him. But notice this. Notice the words that Jesus spoke. And the Bible says this. Two simple words. Follow me. Follow me. You know, I, I, I find this almost, almost a little bit comical because at times we, you know, we talk to people. I spoke with someone the other night and just kind of talked to him a little bit. I suppose I preached a little bit of a sermon to him and sort of caught him off guard. And, you know, we're, we're trying to convince people, trying to, trying to share the gospel and tell them, you know, you, you need to come to Christ. You need to come to Jesus. You need to follow him. Look, when, the, when Jesus showed up, Jesus didn't sit down at the tax collecting booth and say, now, Matthew, I want you to tell me all your problems. I want you to just give it all, lay it all out there before me, Matthew. Come on. You need to know I care about you, Matthew. Now, Matthew, if you follow me, here's what I can give you. Here's what I can do for you. I can give you joy. 
I can give you peace. He didn't do all that. You know how sometimes we try to, you know, God will give you joy. He'll give you peace. He'll give you this. You know, it's all the benefits. But in the end, Jesus showed up and he said, Matthew, follow me. I don't know if Jesus turned at that moment and started to walk away. I don't really know what happened in that moment, but let me tell you something. When the power of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit begins to speak into the heart of that individual, it, look, you can talk to somebody until you turn absolutely green. You can talk to them until you have no more breath and you have to breathe into a paper bag because you're hyperventilating from talking so much, trying to convince them. But when the Holy Spirit does it, he does it quick. He does it abrupt. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, he does it right because they get up and they follow him and they go after him because they recognize in that moment there is nobody like Jesus. Jesus showed up to Matthew and he said, Matthew, follow me. Now, we, we probably assume one thing, and it is this. The city that Matthew operated his custom booth, and he was operating his, he was collecting taxes probably on customs paid at the port of Capernaum on the, on the sea. And, and there was, Capernaum became sort of like a home base for Jesus. It was, it was his sort of second home city. We know he was raised in Nazareth. But Capernaum became a place where Jesus based his ministry out of. So it's possible that Matthew knew about Jesus. We have no reference of any other contact between the two in Scripture. We don't know that. But I can't imagine that Jesus could heal the blind and, and, and heal those who were, who were lame and, and bring somebody back to life without Matthew hearing about it. The, the, the Bible says that the news about him was, was spread about all throughout Judea. So we know that certainly he had to have heard about him, probably. But we don't have anything in Scripture that really points us to any kind of a connection other than this one moment. But in that moment, that moment changed Matthew's life. It changed his life forever because Jesus showed up. Brothers and sisters, if there is anything that we need to pray for, when we go out on the street, the street team, when you go out on the street or when you're at your job, when you're in your home, when you're in an apartment building, you're, you're witnessing to a neighbor. We need to pray, Lord, let the, let the Holy Spirit move through me. Let the life of Christ be shown through me so that when I speak those words, it won't be me. It won't, they won't see me. They're going to see Jesus because Jesus will make all the difference to that person and will change their lives forever. Luke records, and you don't need to turn back over there if you're back in Matthew, but let me just show you this. How Luke says it. Luke says he got up. Something that neither Matthew nor Mark says. Left everything. Left everything. Similar to when, when, when Jesus called John and his brother James as they were at the nets with their father. They were out there. They were getting ready to go out fishing. That was their livelihood, their business. Jesus called them. The Bible says they left their nets and their father and they followed Jesus. Now here today... We, we see in Matthew, Matthew, the Bible lets us know in, in the book of Luke that Matthew left everything. All of us, you know, there was no this, this two-week notice kind of thing. Well, you know, Jesus, I got to give two weeks notice to follow you. You know, Lord, I, I got let me just tie up a few loose ends here, Lord. You know, I want to make it good for the next tax collector to come along and, and rob people. No, he left everything. He just left it all. He got up immediately and he followed Jesus. 
we need to begin to pray like never before that when people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it will be an immediate response in their heart of the affirmative. That immediately they will respond and say, I need Christ. I need to know Jesus. We need to pray for the anointing of the Spirit to be upon us. That when we share the gospel right there, you can lead them to the Lord and you can lead them to that place of repentance. Now, that was the call of Matthew. Matthew does something here that is so significant, so important. Let me read it. The Bible says here, Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 9, it says, while Jesus was having dinner. And we don't know, this wasn't, it didn't seem to be an immediate thing. All of a sudden he has a dinner for Jesus. But sometime after, the, after he was called, he says, Jesus, you know, we're having dinner. I want you to come to my house. Come over for dinner. And the Bible says, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. But over in Luke chapter 5, Mark records the same event, same thing. Luke chapter 5 and verse 29 says, Then Levi, Matthew, held a great banquet. Okay, we got dinner going here, but now Luke records for us that this was just no ordinary dinner. This was a banquet. He met Jesus. Jesus was so important to him that he had to let people know about him. And the best way that this guy knew was go big or go home. You know, we're going to have a banquet. Actually, he went home and went big. He said, I'm going to have a banquet at my house. Jesus, I want you to come. But now let's see who he's beginning to invite. A large crowd of the rip-off guys, the tax collectors who are robbing people left and right, and others. Or, as Matthew puts it, they came to eat with him. They were tax collectors and sinners. They came by and they said, look, we're going we're to... Well, doesn't it make sense that Matthew was a tax collector? He saw how he was wrong in his life and he met Jesus and he said, Jesus, you know what? You got to get my buddies over here. Because these guys are ripping people off too. I'm going to invite them to my house. You come to my house. You'll have to forgive me. <clears throat> that could happen periodically in this message. But he says, you've got to come to my house, Jesus. These, these guys, they, they need you. And these guys came. And they said, yeah, we're here. And here Jesus is sitting down in the midst of tax collectors and sinners and people who need to know his love and his grace, and he's sitting there with him. Brothers and sisters, it's high time that as Christians, we begin to have an impact on the world instead of the world having an impact on us. Well, I can't invite that person to my house because, well, they're a sinner. How about you say it's dinner with Jesus? Jesus is going to be at my house. <laughs> say, well, he's not going to be there physically, and they'll get a little upset if he's not. No, no, no. He won't be there physically, but if he's in you, he's there. If he's in you, he's there. These guys came to have dinner with Jesus, and it was a banquet. Matthew went all out. He said, listen, I've come to know this wonderful Savior. You need to know about him too. You need to know that he can deliver you, that he can change your life, that he can help you not to be the rotten kind of individual you once were. He can save you from your sin, and he can give you a hope and a future. Come to my house 
and let's have dinner with them. Brothers and sisters, are we impacting the world or is the world impacting us? As a church, do we know more about the things that are going on in the world than we know about Jesus and know about Scripture, know about the Bible? Do we know more about the entertainment business? Do we know more about, you know, our favorite sports team? Do we know all the stats and all the things that we can quote about that? And you know I'm a nut for baseball. I love baseball. My Red Sox are, well, we'll not talk about what my Red Sox are doing at the moment. You know, but in the end, do I know more about my Red Sox than I know about Scripture? Do we know more about these things? Listen, Matthew wanted to know Jesus, and he wanted his friends to know Jesus too. We've got to have an impact on the world. Let's take a look at the criticism of the Pharisees. Sure enough, like the paparazzi hanging out at his house. Honestly, you know, where Jesus went, there was some, some Pharisee, some Sadducee. I had a professor, had a professor in Bible college who, who said, you know, the, the Sadducees, they were, these were two different sects. The, the difference essentially between the two was the Pharisees believed in a physical resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. And he said, that's why they were sad, you see. <sighs> I know, I couldn't resist. <laughs> you can blame it on my former professor, Brother Jervy. But the Pharisees, they're hanging out at Matthew. I, I thought to myself, Matthew didn't invite these people. A, because they wouldn't have accepted his invitation. And C, he didn't hang out with them. C, B, he didn't hang out with them. See how that goes? <laughs> he didn't hang out with them anyway. So these Pharisees were stalking. Bunch of stalkers going around checking out where Jesus was going to have dinner. And scandal of all scandals, Jesus is going to have dinner with a bunch of traitors. He's going to Matthew's house. Look at what this Jesus, they're building their case against him. They hated Jesus. This was just one more thing. He's going to have dinner with people who work for the enemy. We want to be delivered from the Romans, and he's going and hanging out with the guys who are in the Romans' pockets. He's going out and hanging out with that kind of a crowd. The religious leader got scandalized. They, were, they just couldn't believe that Jesus would hang with such outcasts. But what they didn't recognize is Jesus was not interested in keeping the outcast an outcast. He was interested in bringing in the outcast. That's why it was in with the outcasts, bringing them into the kingdom. He is all about that. He is about that. Listen, you might feel somehow like you might be a little bit of an outcast in society and culture and whatever the case might be. Don't lose heart. Don't be worried about that. Don't worry about what people think about you But because I'm here to let you know that Jesus has his eye on you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus gave his all for you. And as an outcast in society, in your school, in your job, in your apartment building, wherever it might be you need to know that Jesus Christ gave his all for you to bring you into the kingdom and not let you continue to be an outcast oh you're not an outcast to the Lord Matthew wasn't an outcast at all all these people sitting around Jesus hearing about the kingdom of God they weren't outcasts to him they were people that he was going to die for he was the re they were the reason he came but here's this criticism. The religious crowd, they can't handle it. 
The, the church can't handle it. All of a sudden now, you know, we can't have individuals like that in our meetings. We can't, you know, we can't allow tax collectors and sinners to be coming to the temple. Oh, I love the story. Remember the story that Jesus told of the, the two men who went up to the temple to pray? One was a, a religious leader. He was a Pharisee, and he stood up in front of everybody and lifted his voice really loud so everybody could hear him pray and he's praying some kind of nonsense like lord i thank you i'm not like the tax collectors and the sinners and here over in the corner is a lowly tax collector and he's hiding up behind a pillar of the temple and the bible says he's beating his chest oh lord be merciful to me a sinner and jesus says to his disciples who do you think went home justified who do you think went home justified? Listen, Jesus is so loving and so merciful and so gentle. He recognizes the heart that is crying out to him. He recognizes those who will reach out for more of him. And when these tax collectors and sinners came around, Jesus didn't care what the paparazzi had to say. He didn't care what was going on on the outside. What mattered most was these individuals who needed deliverance from sin and needed to know that there was eternal life that was in store for them if they would accept him. The criticism of the Pharisees was leveled against him, but let me show you the compassion of Jesus in closing. The compassion of Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says. Let me go to... Uh, you know what? Let's go over to Luke. Uh, go over to Luke, back over to Luke chapter 5. and I want to read the last two verses there of that passage, 31 and 32. Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Here's the compassion of Jesus. These critical kind of Pharisees couldn't deal with the tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus says this. Jesus answered them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Those of you who have ever had any kind of illness... The Mervyn just had surgery a while back. I, in my life, I've had, I had what was a smoldering appendix. I had to have it out. I needed a doctor. I didn't go home and pretend like nothing happened. I felt the pain. I knew what was going on. There are those, you've been sick, so sick, you have not been able to recover on your own. You've had to go to a doctor. We understand what Jesus is saying here. And what Jesus is equating those who are in that room with him. He is equating those who just had dinner with him with those who are sick, those who need a doctor. And I am so glad that in that moment he is known as the great physician. He is the great physician. Those who need a doctor can come to see the great physician and they can be made whole, not just of physical infirmities, but of a spiritual need, a deep spiritual need in their hearts and their lives where they come to recognize that I, without Christ, I'm going to die. Without Christ, I'm going to die spiritually and I will die for eternity. There will be that second death that will come upon my life if I do not repent of my sin. And listen what Jesus said in verse 32. He said, I have not come to call the righteous... Jesus in that moment was looking out at a group of Pharisees and talking to a bunch of Pharisees. Those guys thought they were righteous. They had a 
righteousness of their own, a self-righteousness. Jesus said, I didn't come to call you guys because you think you're okay. You see, it's very hard to talk to somebody who thinks they're fine. It's the one who confesses and said, I, I, I need something. That they're the ones who are open and receptive. But Jesus said, I've come to call sinners to repentance. I've come to call sinners to repentance. The same way to the cross, brothers and sisters, for then is the same way today. It is through repentance. There is no other way to come to Christ. You can't earn it. You can't say, no, Lord, look how good I've been. I've gone to church three Sundays in a row. Lord, you've got to be so impressed with me that I have gone to church three Sundays in a row. Now, Lord, I'm sure I'm going to heaven. If you're trusting in your attendance, brothers and sisters, you are trusting in something that is very dangerous because going to church does not make you a Christian. It is when you come to Christ in repentance. Jesus said, I've come to call sinners to repentance. That is the only way to come to Christ. But brothers and sisters, can't we see the compassion in this? The compassion is, is that he calls. This is the great compassion of the Lord. You can go all the way back into the Garden of Eden to find the compassion of God, the mercy of God. And it was this, and it is found in the, in the time where Adam and Eve gave into sin and they gave into temptation and they sinned against God. The Bible lets us know that in that moment, God came down. I, I, look, no greater words in the Old Testament of the mercy of God than those words. God came down. Listen, God came down and he called out to Adam. And brothers and sisters, right now Jesus is saying, I've come to call sinners to repentance. He is out for sinners to come into the kingdom of God. His call to Matthew was simple. Follow me. But it was a call to repentance. It was a call to forsake, ripping people off, robbing them blind. You remember how, how Jesus got a hold of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree. Zacchaeus was one of these tax collectors, and he ripped people off. And all of a sudden, Jesus looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to go to your house and have dinner. He loved having dinner with the tax collectors. He loved having dinner with those who were outcasts, with those who were down and out and couldn't make a way for themselves. Nobody liked him. And poor little Zacchaeus, he was too short to see over the crowds of people. He had to climb a tree to see Jesus. And the compassion of Jesus was he stopped under the tree, saw Zacchaeus and said, come on down. And that one dinner meeting changed Zacchaeus' life forever. Brothers and sisters, the compassion of Jesus is so incredibly great. Not just for you today, but for the people that you work with, people that you live with, people that are around you on a regular basis. His heart is beating for the lost. I believe with all my heart that God wants this church, this body of believers to grow. But I believe that one of the ways that we need to do it, look, we can get all kinds of campaigns and we can try to, you know, you can spend a fortune trying to, to put all the glitz on and and put all the things together that make us look like we're a, we're a here and now kind of church. And that, you know, we're, we, we're relevant in our culture. Listen, Jesus never lost his relevancy. Jesus has never lost it. We don't have to change the message to become relevant. 
What we need to do is we need to hold up Christ to a world that is lost and dying and show that he is ever so compassionate and that he loves them and that he has called them to repentance. I know that's a message that so many churches today don't want to preach because it puts people off and, you know, tell me only nice things. No, repentance is a nice thing. It is you get to forsake the sin that is dragging your soul to hell and you get to come to Jesus and you get to have eternal life with him. And in this life, you can have hope and you can have joy and peace and all of that, but you get to forsake the things that are taking you down. Can we bow our heads this morning? Hallelujah. Today I wonder if there is anybody in this building who does not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, you've heard today how he called Matthew. Matthew was somebody nobody liked very well just because of his position in life and what he did. But it might be today that you are here and you're without Christ. You might not be an outcast. You might have good friends and good family and all of that. But today you're without Christ. You know that. If you were to ask yourself this question, tonight if I were to die, where would I be tomorrow? You say, well, I'd just die. You go into the ground. No, the Bible reveals that you will live on somewhere in eternity. Where will it be? Will it be heaven or will it be hell? You see, what gets you into heaven is not your attendance at church. It's not how good you are. But it is faith in Christ and what he has done on the cross for you. Putting your faith and trust in him, repenting of your sins and saying, Lord, I'm going to forsake that old life. And now I want you to give me that new life. The Bible says, and it lets us know that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are made new. If there's anybody in this building today who does not know Christ, and today you want to make him your Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about just a commitment in this moment, just some kind of a, a thing in this moment because you feel a certain amount of emotion. I'm talking about something that you will live for the rest of your life, something that you will commit to with all your heart and with the help of the Holy Spirit will live out the rest of your days. If that's you, just lift up your hand and take it down. Anybody? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want us to stand together today. Let's stand together. I want, I want the musicians to come back. If you would, play that, that chorus we sang, You Are Merciful to Me. Julian, just get ready to lead that in a moment. You are merciful to me. And as we sing that together, I want us to pray. We're going to pray in just a moment. But for those of you who are in this place, you know the Lord, you're saved, you love the Lord. Jesus called Matthew for a particular purpose. And you might wonder why. Why Matthew? Why a tax collector? You know, he had, he had other guys, Peter, James, John. Peter was, was a, most definitely a different kind of an individual. John, we read John's gospel and his epistles. And John is known as the loving disciple. He talks a lot about the love of, of God and the love of Christ. But why Matthew? What was, what was the purpose for Matthew? You see, I believe that Jesus saw Matthew's natural talents and abilities. 
Yeah, I know he was a crooked guy, but also as a tax collector, he had to be meticulous in his keeping of records. And that would come in handy because in Matthew's gospel, more than any other gospel, we read about Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled in Christ. Matthew was so meticulous that he would now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, go back into the Old Testament and recognize that's a prophecy about Christ. And this event fulfilled it. Let me write about it. You see, the great thing about when Jesus calls us, he doesn't call us to leave our talents and our abilities to the wayside. No, (laughs) he turns them around and uses them for his kingdom. Whatever talents and abilities you might have to bring to the Lord, he wants to use them for his glory and for his honor. That meticulous nature of record keeping now would cause Matthew to say over and over and over again so that it might be fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, God has his eye on you for a particular purpose and plan. It's like what Moses, when Jesus, or when God the Father asked Moses in that moment, what do you have in your hand? Moses said, I got a rod. It's all I got. Don't have anything else. God says, I'm going to use that rod. Whatever you have in your hand, you offer it to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to use it for your glory and for your honor today. Father, in the name of Jesus, let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you today that what we have in our hands, you can use. Talents, abilities, job skills, all of those things, Lord, you can use for your kingdom. Lord, we're not to live a secular life, but Lord, we are to live a life that where we can give our all to you. Whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a body of believers to offer it to you and say, Lord, use it for your kingdom. Use it for your glory. Lord God, we thank you today for your grace and your peace. And I thank you, Lord, that you're merciful to us. Lord, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me, my Lord. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me, my Lord. Every day. Every day my disobedience grieves your loving heart. But then redeeming love breaks through and causes me to worship you. Redeemer, Redeemer, Savior, Savior, Healer, Healer, and Friend, and Friend. Every day, every day, renew my ways, renew my ways, fill me with love, fill me with love that never ends, that never ends. You are merciful to me, you are merciful to me, you 
are merciful to me, my Lord. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me, my Lord. You are merciful. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me, my Lord. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me, my Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I ask that you would bless your people. As they leave this building today, Lord, let them recognize that you go with them at all times. That, Lord, you're you're not, you, you don't stay in this building, but you're with them. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that whatever trial they face, whatever discouragement they are up against, that, Lord, they would look up for their redemption draws near. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would encourage my brothers and sisters in you. And, Lord, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen.